Thank you so much, ladies. A wonderful song, sung very well. Uh, and speaking of ladies, let me make one more announcement real quick. We're having a ladies prayer fellowship tomorrow night uh, in what we what we would call the uh, the cottage prayer meeting style. It's going to be at Miss Elisa Crawford's home. That's tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. That's for all of our ladies in the church. You're all invited and would love to have you there uh, for that time of prayer and that time of fellowship. Now, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, I want to preach to you a sermon I've titled, The Goodness of God. The Goodness of God. Psalm 27, and we're going to read this psalm here at the outset, and then I'm going to share with you a few words that I think describe both the psalm itself, but even more importantly for our purposes, that describe what it's like, what it ought to be like, to be a child of God, serving in faith. So Psalm 27, look there with me as I read. God's word says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be, notice this word, yet I will be confident. There's one thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and there to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. Well, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off and forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. And give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and so he offers this word of encouragement here at the end. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Brother and sister, hear from God today. Wait for the Lord. Will you bow with me as we pray seeking God's voice? Father, Lord, we ask you to speak to us here in this time of preaching. God, what a privilege to worship. God, what a privilege to be able to share here together in your word, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each of us today. 
We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Let me share with you four words that ought to characterize every single child of God. The first word is the word confidence. Confidence. Verse 3, after David describes all these troubles in his life, troubles with which have not yet resolved, David says in faith, yet I will be confident. We should have confidence in this world. Not, not self-confidence, but God-confidence. You have too much confidence in yourself, and you're going to walk with a little bit of a, of a swagger, right? But it's hard to carry your cross like Jesus told you to if you've got a strut in your step, okay? It's God-confidence. We need to have confidence from God in this life to be ourselves, confidence to face our fears, Confidence to do hard things when they come our way. Confidence to fulfill the calling that God's placed on our life. So where do we get this confidence from? This isn't merely a pep talk where you look inward and feel a little better and leave this place going, hey, I can do it. No, this is, this is us looking together at God's word. And when the psalmist can declare, I will be confident, we should look now and examine where's he getting this confidence from? Right? Where's it from? What's it rooted in? Two things. And this is where our confidence ought to come from. Number one, it's rooted in who God is. And number two, it's rooted in how God does things. All right, in verses 1, 2, and 3, we're going to learn a few things about who God is. And we're going to learn at least one thing about how he does things. And when David, the psalmist, reflects on those realities, he's able to say, I can have confidence no matter what I'm up against. So notice with me, first of all, confidence in who God is. Well, who is he? Well, here in this passage, David describes him. He says, first of all, the Lord is my light. That's who he is. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He'll go on to say that the Lord is my stronghold. So let's look at these words just for a moment. The Lord is my light. We can have confidence in a dark world because Jesus is our light. Listen, it don't take long. You flip on the, the, the news, whatever news network you like to watch. It don't matter which one. Things don't look really great in the world. Things are kind of scary. It's a dark time. And yet Jesus is our light. Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 8, verse 12. And he said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. How do we get this light? Do we just look for it? Do we just hope in it? We place our faith in Jesus Christ. He's the light. And then we go from being children of darkness to being children of light. Ephesians 5, 8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. You know, the world can seem an awfully dark place sometimes. And we just need somebody to turn the light on. You ever been in an unfamiliar place? And uh, maybe you were sleeping in a hotel or sleeping at a friend or a relative's house, never really been there before, and it's the middle of the night, and you, for whatever reason, you need to get up. And so you get up, and you don't want to wake anybody. You don't want to flip the lights on, but you don't know where to go. There, there may be obstacles in the room or furniture, or if it's like our house, there may be like little pairs of shoes or Legos laying in the floor, booby traps waiting for those nighttime bare feet to step on them, right? And there's one thing we could use that would make that a little easier, give us more confidence to walk through that. And that's a light. Jesus said, I'm the light. Here David confesses, the Lord is my light. If you know Jesus, you don't have to be in the dark. 
you have the light. And that ought to give you confidence. Notice also David says, the Lord is my salvation. That word salvation doesn't just mean, hey, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. In fact, the way that it's used here in Psalm 27, it it more means he's my deliverer here and now. Though I may face all kind of opposition, I believe the Lord is my deliverer. My salvation is the same word that Moses used right after God led the children of Israel across the Red Sea. You remember they were trapped in between, on the one hand, uh, the, uh, the mighty Egyptian army with all their chariots and warriors and, and the huge Red Sea on the other side, and there they were trapped. And it, when, it, when it seemed like there was no way out of that situation, God split the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. He delivered them. As soon as that story transpired, Moses pins his own psalm. But it's not in the book of Psalms. It's in Exodus 15. There in verse number 2, Moses would say, Of the Lord, he has become my salvation. Because God is my light in a dark world, I can have confidence. Because God's my deliverer, even though I can't see a way out, I can have Confidence, Brothers and sisters, some of you are in a difficult situation right now. Now, you're doing well. You got dressed. You made it to church this morning. But you, you're, you're up against something in your life. And you don't see a resolution. You don't see how this is going to work out for your good. If you can muster the faith to say, God is my deliverer. Not just in a generic, spiritual sense, but in here and now, in this flesh and blood life, the Lord is my salvation, then you can have the confidence to move forward in faith. Notice also we're we're told that God is my stronghold, the refuge of my life. Now that word stronghold is an interesting one for the pictures that it paints in its usage elsewhere in the Old Testament. There's a range of meaning for this term, the term stronghold. It includes a mountain cave into which people could run and flee Uh, to safety in like bad weather or something like that. The word can be used as a fortress where you would go when the enemy attacks. It even is often translated as a helmet that you put on or that you get into so that it protects you from the dangers of this life. That's who God is. That's who he is for us. He is our stronghold. We, We put him on, so to speak, in Christ when we believe in God and his salvation. And there in that stronghold, we're given confidence. And so I want to tell you, if you're going through something difficult, run to Jesus. He's your refuge. He will protect you from all the harm which would seek to come your way. Jesus is our stronghold. Now, we can have confidence because of who God is. He's our light. He's our salvation. He's our stronghold. We can also have confidence through the difficulties of this life because of how God does things. Now, I think this is interesting. In verses 2 and 3, David describes some of the dangers and some, some of the, the immediate situations in his life which are seeking to do him harm. He talks about his enemies. He talks about how mean and how cruel they are. He talks about all the things they're trying to do to bring him down. But he concludes this. Yet it is they who will stumble and fall. Not me. Them. Right? They're working as hard as they can against me, David says. But I know how God does things. Sometimes we have a narrow perspective that only, that only looks for God to do something now 
in the way we want it done. But if we can have a little bit more broad of a perspective to see God's timing is better, God's ways are higher than our ways, I think we'll understand how God does things just like David understood that. Right? It's them who will stumble and fall. In Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul, picking up on a similar theme, tries to encourage the, the uh, Christians there at Galatia. And here's what he said. Right, they, they had a lot of trouble. They had a lot of enemies. And it seemed like their enemies were prospering and they were having the difficult time. Galatians 6, 7, Paul said this, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. That's how God works. You see somebody in this life and they're not doing things the right way. They're not treating people well. They're being very selfish. And it seems like, hey, how come they always get ahead and I only have difficulty? Just give it some time. Because the Bible says you reap what you sow. If that's how you, how you live now, there will come a day when God's people will look at those people and say, it is they who will stumble and fall. Because of who God is, because of how things work in this world, we can have confidence. Now, uh, my favorite part of the preparation for this message was what I learned about the word confident. I'm just going to share this, and then we'll move on to the, the other words that I think ought to characterize our lives as Christian. That word confident that's used um, in verse number three, yet I will be confident. The word can mean secure. Okay, so think about being secure versus feeling insecure. The word often can mean rest. Compare that with the idea of being restless because of your fears or your anxieties. The word can mean unsuspecting. If you've had people in your life who have hurt you, if you've had circumstances turn out to be very bad for you, if people never seem to want to give you the benefit of the doubt, it's not long and your little heart winds up wounded and, and distrustful towards others, suspicious, maybe even cynical. You're never able to see the bright side. You've lost your ability to give people the benefit of the doubt. Through faith in God, God can give us a confidence that gives us security and so that we don't have to go through this life suspicious of others. We can just trust God, trust His ways, and believe everything will turn out okay for His people. That's the kind of confidence we have in view here. That's a word that ought to describe our lives. Confidence. Let me share with you a second word that ought to describe every child of God. That's the word presence. Presence. Here, of course, we mean the presence of God. In verses 4, 5, and 6, David will talk about his desire for God's presence. He'll speak in description a little bit of, of what it's like to be in God's presence. Uh, one divine of many years ago by the name of Brother Lawrence, he was a monk in Paris many hundreds of years ago, and he devoted his life to something he called practicing the presence of God. He's written a book by that title, Practicing the Presence of God. Here's what he said, the most holy... And the most important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. God's presence in your life. Notice with me as we think about God's presence, first of all, a heart for God's presence. In verse 4, David says, there's one thing 
I'm really after. Just one thing that I've asked the Lord, and that's God's presence. Notice David's heart, his desire for the presence of God. A.W. Tozer, a revivalist of a previous generation, said this, I want the presence of God himself, or else I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want the presence of God. That's what he desired in his life. Now, how do you, how do you seek after the presence of God? I think the greatest way is through what we call the spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, going to church, fellowshipping with other believers, having those sorts of spiritual uh, relationships and conversations and accountability. Those sort of spiritual disciplines put us in contact with God's grace as well as anything else that I know how. That's how I believe we experience the presence of God. There's some words used in our passage here in verse number 4. The word dwell is used. The word gaze is used. The word inquire, which alternatively means to meditate. All these words really convey a sense of time, a sense of unhurriedness in the presence of God. The word dwell. One thing that I have asked of the Lord that I'll seek after, David says, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. I love the word dwell. It means to sit down. That's what it means. Not, not a... Not a drive-by spirituality, okay? Not a drive-through spiritual life, a sit-down restaurant of a spiritual life. If you're too busy to spend time in the presence of God, let me tell you one thing that's true about your life. You're too busy. You're just too busy. You need to give something up. You say, well, I may experience a loss. You're already losing, friend. The presence of God in your life. We need a heart for this presence. One author, Paul Miller, writing on the subject of prayer, he says, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, a friend, or even God. You need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, busyness, these all kill intimacy. In short, he says, you can't get to know God on the fly. It takes some time. We need a heart for the presence of God. Not only that, we need the help that God's presence offers to us. Notice in verse number five, speaking of the presence of God, David in, in immediate danger says of God, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will hide me. Is God your hiding place from the dangers of this life? The word hide is, is in its verb form here, but as a noun, the word often means treasure. So, so here's the picture. A treasure in the ancient world wasn't something you took to the bank. Now, there weren't any banks. You, you'd, you'd go to your tent or your home, you'd find what you thought was the safest spot, and you'd dig a little hole, and you would hide your treasure there so that it would be safe and no one could get it. That's the picture here of how David describes the presence of God. He will hide me. And why? Because he treasures me. Brother, sister, you are a treasure to your heavenly Father. And he wishes to hide you from harm in his very presence. Colossians 3 verse 3 says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. Because of Jesus, we are treasures hidden and protected unto touchable, as it were, 
in the presence of God. That's the help of his presence. Notice with me the hallelujah of God's presence. David says here in verse number six, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing and I'll make melody to the Lord. Notice the word shout is used in our Bible. Now, when we read the word shout, we just say shout, but that doesn't quite convey it, does it? It's a shout, shouts of joy, shouting and singing and making melody. These things ought to describe your relationship with God. If there's never any shouting, if there's never any singing, if there's never any making melody, let me tell you, there's probably not a lot of, of, of presence of God in your life. Because in the scriptures where we see the presence of God, we see these dramatic things taking place. David singing and shouting and melody making. Because of what God has done, he just can't help himself but shout hallelujah. That's the presence of God. Let me share with you as our passage moves on a, uh, a third word that ought to describe every child of God. That's the word relationship. Of course, we've already hinted at it with our other points, but let me just be more explicit. Relationship. In verse 7, uh, the passage changes gears a little bit. Whereas the previous six verses, um, David is talking about God. Here in verse 7, he changes gears and he begins to speak to God. And so verse 7 and verse 8, some of these following verses, actually a prayer. We get a glimpse into the prayer life of the great King David, the great psalm writer, and he describes a relationship. A couple of things we can say about this relationship. First off, it was a personal relationship. David's not talking about what he heard God might do. He's talking about personal experience here. I know what God is like, and so I'm going to cry out to him for help, and I believe he will help me. Friend, I hope you've got a personal relationship with Jesus. Listen, I like church. You probably shouldn't be a pastor if you don't like church. Right? I like getting together. I like doing good ministries and things like that. But what good is that going to do if I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus? I don't think it's going to do much good. And so let's not take that for granted. Why don't we spend a moment, every single person here today, would you just in your heart of hearts ask yourself, do I really believe I have a personal relationship with Jesus? Not just church is all right and I want to be good. Do you know him? Do you talk to him? Do you feel his presence in your life? Have you been saved? Do you know what it feels like to be cleansed from sin, to be relieved of the burden of paying for your own failures? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and following. Apostle Paul is describing the personal nature of our faith. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit cries out, Abba, or Father. That's a personal designation. And so it says, the God word has to just remind us, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, you are an heir through God. That's a personal Relationship. We are sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. I heard a testimony a few weeks ago, and a young man was sharing, and he just almost in passing, he mentioned his earthly father. 
And he just said this, and he moved on, but he said this one phrase. He said, my dad's my hero. And of all the things that were said that night, that was the one thing in, in my little heart. I said, amen. Amen to that. My dad is my hero. Now, he was talking about his earthly father, but I think, I think we'd all agree if our relationships were like what they were supposed to be, all of us would have had an earthly father that we loved and respected, and we could say, hey, my dad was my hero. Let me tell you something. Whether you have that or not, you have a heavenly father who will be your hero. It's a personal relationship. Not only that, it's a prayerful relationship. We see a powerful life of prayer here on display. Honesty, authenticity, desperation, helplessness. That's a real prayer life. If all you ever pray is something like this, Lord, thank you for my food. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, please help all people with problems. Amen. That's not much of a prayer life. You need to tell God what's on your heart. Sometimes the things on our heart are great things. Sometimes the things on our hearts are really, really terrible things. God wants to hear from you. It's a personal, prayerful relationship. You need to, need to be more honest. You know, kids are the people that are just honest. Am I right? We were somewhere recently. I'm not naming any places. Don't want to knock on anybody. But we were somewhere recently, and we hadn't been in there 10 seconds. The room was very quiet, but there were other people in there. And my little girl said, Daddy, it stinks in here. <laughs> kids are just so honest. She was right. It did smell bad in there. But I wasn't saying that. We need to pray more like children. I've heard, I've heard a few whoppers over the years, prayers that kids have prayed. One, one kid prayed, dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, just not with so much hair all over. Another, ch another child prayed, dear God, I went to a wedding and they were kissing and stuff right there in the church. Is that okay? Our relationship with God should be honest. Notice also the relationship should be a persevering relationship. David prays, Lord, please don't cast me away. He's not gonna. God, please don't turn your face away from me. He will never. The Bible says that he who has began a good work in you, right, he's gonna finish the work that he started in your life. Not only that, but we'll say quickly, it's a purpose-filled relationship. What's the purpose? Verse 11, David prays, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. This isn't head knowledge. Okay, this is life knowledge. Lord, I want to walk the path that you want me to walk in this life. The purpose of our relationship is that we be more and more conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 says that's what we were predestined for to be conformed to the image of his son, to be more and more like Jesus. That's the whole point of this purpose-filled relationship. Let me share with you very quickly the, the final word that should characterize every child of God, and maybe this is the best word. It's the word hope. Hope. We ought not to be people only who feel dismay, only who feel fear or worry. We ought to be a people of hope. Here in verse 13 and 14, to me, the greatest part of this psalm, David is now concluding. He's wrapping things up. 
But, but what we should notice here is he's described all of his troubles, his dangers. He said, hey, but I'm going to trust God anyways. He, he, he records for us some of his own personal prayer life, and it's a difficult thing about which he prays. But when we get to verse 13 and 14, none of the dangers have resolved yet. Nothing about the difficulty of his situation has changed. It's all still just as difficult, and yet David has hope in his heart. And why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because he's a child of God who lives by faith. With all of this danger surrounding him, David says in verse 13, but I believe, right? I've got hope. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so I want to give you these two admonitions as we close the sermon today. Number one, brother and sister, choose to believe. Have that hope in the face of doubt or discouragement. Say, I'm going to believe. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He did not give up hope, even though his life was very, very difficult. Secondly, choose to be brave. Don't just choose to believe, but choose to be brave. I think one of the, the most courageous things any child of God could ever do is to wait for the Lord. That's what David did. That's how, that's how the psalm ends. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And now wait for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you've got a choice to make today. I've described for you here from this psalm what I think the life of the child of God should be like. You've got a choice to make today. Will you choose hope and choose courage like David did? It's been given to us as an example for our encouragement, for our instruction. Let me invite you, if you would, to bow your heads as we prepare for a time of invitation I'm reminded of a passage from Joshua where God's great leader says that all of God's people must choose who they will serve. Looking out at all those people, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose to believe and choose to be brave. All oh, let that be your choice today. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Dear Christian friend, there's no telling what's on your heart in this time. Would you come? These altars are open. You come and, and just make your choice known. Lord, I'm going to choose to trust you today. I'm going to choose to be brave today. I'm going to wait for you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus. Jesus loves you and he died on the cross to save you. Would you trust him today. Father in heaven, we ask for your blessing now during this time of invitation. God, would you move? Father, would you speak? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand together as we sing your mind.